Bibles, open up with me to Luke chapter 10. Um, so if you're new here, what we've been doing uh, really for the past year and we'll continue to do up till Easter 2019 is just going um, verse by verse through the book of Luke, trying to understand all that Luke is trying to tell us. Um, we understand that Luke was writing to Theophilus, trying to um, solidify all that he had heard, to give him certainty of what was happening in the gospel. And so, so that's where we are, that's where we'll be for a little while, Luke chapter 10, um, verses 13 through 23. So raise your hand if you ever played the game Manhunt. You know what I'm talking about, okay. Uh, raise your hand if you played it this weekend. Manhunt on campus would be pretty, actually it'd be awful, if so many hills you would die. Um, we used to play Manhunt growing up all the time. It's just this really glorified version of hide-and-seek, right? Um, so there's one time we were running through my best friend's neighborhood, and the homeowner had actually come out and was kind of chasing us off his property, uh, probably because it was a mix of Manhunt, Ding Dong Ditch, and just we were dumb. Um, so I'm running, and this is like, picture a movie happening here. Now, I was running, and I got a cramp in my calf muscle. So just instantly landed on the ground, fell, and just yelled out, guys, go on without me. I'll be okay. Like, so melodramatic. What is going to happen here? Uh, but he actually passed over me. I guess that he had uh, grace and mercy on the injured and went and got everyone else. Uh, but I used to love Manhunt, this idea that I can hide better than you. I can disappear. And so now I've got four kids ranging from six. Um, my third is actually, it's her second birthday today. And so we've got six, three, two, and almost one-year-old. Um, so I play hide-and-seek all the time with my kids at the house, uh, but manhunt growing up in high school versus hide-and-seek in my house looks totally different. Uh, like, in high school, we really didn't want to be found, uh, but my kids, they, like, it's hide-and-seek, but if you don't find them in two seconds, they're giggling and yelling for you. Like, I don't, I don't think you understand how this game works. You're, you're supposed to hide. They're like, oh, daddy, I'm over here. Like, I know. Stop talking. Like, you're making this game hard. Um, one time when Auburn was little, we put her in the dryer um, it's, I unplugged it. No, I didn't. But like, 
Put her in the dryer so and my wife could not find her anywhere. It was awesome. Um, so Auburn and I won that game. <clears throat> but, but let me ask you something. As we're de- getting into Luke 10 this morning, uh, just true, just between me and you, be really, really honest with me. Do you ever feel like in your Christian journey that God has played in hide and seek with you? Like, have we ever had that moment where, like, hey, God, uh, Ali Ali Oxen Free, come out, because I really could use some help here, and he doesn't come out. And then you start shouting a little louder, and you start worrying a little more, and you start calling for him even louder, and still nothing. Here's the interesting thing about the season. If you're not there, praise God for that. But you will be. And I can see by the look on some of your faces, you're, you're there. You're in this season where uh, you are two seconds away from walking away from Christianity because you feel like God is not there. That he's playing some evil game of hide and seek and has disappeared and has left you high and dry. So Thursday, I I walked up, I have a little office in my basement, I walked upstairs about 5.30, was getting ready to take my daughter to cheerleading, the sermon was done, felt really good about it, Um, took her to cheerleading, had dinner, whatever, whatever, I woke up Friday morning, took my son to preschool, and the entire way, I couldn't tell you a thing that Grady said, because God was lighting me up. Because you see, I'd I'd even text Kyle, who's one of our pastors here, I said, hey man, I've changed the preaching calendar a little bit. I'll I'll fix it on Google Drive later, don't don't sweat it. I'm not teaching what I'd originally planned on teaching this weekend. And what God was pressing into me is because I was a coward. That I didn't, I wanted to skip over Luke 10, this part of Luke 10, because I was being a coward. Because this is a really hard subject matter. It's one of those moments where I'm going to stand before you this morning and at some level go, I, I don't know. I, I do, here's what the text says, I don't know what to do with it. We, we've got to figure this thing out together. Does God hide from us? Does God hide his face? And if he does, what's, what's the purpose? What's the plan in that? Right now, do you feel like God is hiding from you? Have you come from a season where you feel like, man, if God would just show up, everything would be better? So Luke 10 is is where we're going to try to answer this question. Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse 13. Um, Because the context of this, Ricky preached this uh, verse 13, this passage, probably like two months ago. So let let me catch this up because most of you guys weren't here two months ago. Jesus had sent, at this point, he's got a huge crowd following him. Um, he had sent out his 12 disciples earlier in another text, and they'd come back and they'd seen God do incredible things in them and through them, perform miracles. Um, they were going to proclaim that the kingdom of God is not here, or is not near, but he's here. That Jesus is here, the Messiah is here. And so we pick up at the beginning of Luke chapter 10, where Jesus had now sent out the 72 to do the same thing. Go, go heal, go cast out demons. You've got power and authority from me, go do it. And so they come back, and, and we're going to pick up right at the at chapter, or verse 13, right before he goes out, because Jesus sends some really big woes, some big warnings. And who he's warning in 13 and 14 and 15, who he's warning is the religious people. The towns that are full of the Jewish people that should know better, that should be looking for the Messiah, that should be expecting Jesus to come that know the law, they know who Jesus is, they know God. So the worst woes, the worst warnings that Jesus is giving 
is not to the pagan cities. I mean, in our culture, he's, it's almost like he's warning the Bible Belt cities, but he's praising Las Vegas. He's warning, hey, um, Atlanta, hey, Birmingham, hey, South Carolina. I know that's a state, not a city. Stay with me. You're messing up. Woe to you. You're missing this. But San Francisco, Seattle, Las Vegas, you're good. The kingdom is here, and you get it, and you understand it. So right out of the gate, we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, Jesus, do you not see what I'm doing? Do you, not, do you not understand that, like, we're called the Bible Belt for a reason, but who he's warning, who he's offering these woes to just throws us off the track a little bit. So let's pick it up at verse 17. When these 72 come back, Luke 10, 17. The return of the 72 is the hep, caption head for that. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And here's what Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now verse 20 is a big turning point for us though. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he's saying, listen, listen, you, you did cool things. But do not for a second think that you did those on your power or your authority. It's only because your names are written in heaven because of me that you're able to do those things. Do not get conceited. Do not think more of yourself. Remember who gave you that power. Remember who gave you that authority. Let's keep reading verse 21. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Did you just catch that? Let me read that again. If, you, if you're a circle underliner, take a note, catch this. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed to them the little, to the little children. Yes, Father, such was your, underline this, gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except for the Father, or who the Father is except for the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Verse 23, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you, many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So I'm taking Grady to school Friday morning. I've got a whole different sermon planned out. Um, I get home Friday afternoon. I'm going to cut the grass before our missional community. So I'm just Googling uh, some of my favorite, most respected pastors. Does anyone have a sermon on this text? Because I would love to hear it. I'd love to understand. I'd love to get their wisdom because I feel like God has prompted me to teach on the hiddenness of God. And, and I just don't know if I can. Um, so there's a guy by the name of J.D. Greer who, um, he was the only one that I could find. And within the first five minutes of his sermon, he says... I've never heard anyone preach on this. I'm like, well, thanks, JD. That's, that's my fear. That's what I'm worried about is no one's teaching on this. So the hiddenness of God is something that theologians have argued and debated and discussed for the last 2,000 years. I mean, there's a whole theology built around the hiddenness of God. So what we're about to do in the next 30 minutes 
is going to be rather difficult. We, this, this could be an entire um, seminar. This could be an entire dissertation, what we're going to try to do. But, but here's what I know. Here's, as I'm preparing this text, here's, it's probably one of the most um, spirit-relied, ill-prepared sermons I've ever had. Not that I didn't study, not that I didn't research. It's I'm just, I'm trying to explain the character and the nature and the wisdom of God. And I'm an idiot. Anybody else? I mean, I'm not going to tell you you're an idiot. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying. You, you didn't create the world. You didn't create the universe. So, so compared to Almighty God, who are we? So let me do this. Before we dive into this idea, uh, let me pray because I have to pray. Uh, and this prayer is not necessarily for you. I'm going to pray for you, but this is for me and the Spirit would speak through us. Um, and there would be, here, here's my big prayer through this. There would be healing and reconciliation between us and God through this text. Sound fair? Let's pray. God, we, we don't know you. We, we don't know your ways. We, we don't want to pretend like we do. We don't want to have this false idea that we can understand the mind and heart of God. But, but here's what I'm praying, God. Would you reveal yourself to us this morning? God, I know stories in this room of people that are about to throw in the towel of their faith because they feel like you once were here, now you're not. Father, you, you are good, and you do all things for our joy. Not for our happiness, but for our joy. And so my prayer for us this morning is that through your word, we would understand your purpose for us in your joy for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So here's what I'm going to do. Just We're going to start breaking down some of those words I told you to underline. Um, hidden, gracious will, um, child wise and understanding. We're just going to kind of break down some of that to figure out what the scripture is actually saying to us. I'm going to throw a lot of quotes at you and I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you. Um, scripture is so that you know this is not my idea. I'm not making this up. That, that scripture backs all this up. Um, so there's some communication cards on the table. If you want to steal one of those, fill it out. If you don't own a Bible, um, there's Bibles on the table. I'll try to go slow through some of these texts. If you want to flip through them, mark them, or write them down in the front cover of that Bible and take them home. I want us to press into this idea. Because I think there's freedom and there's power in this. So the first word that we have to try to understand is hidden. Is God hides. I mean, when we read Luke 10, it cannot be more clear. Luke 10, 21. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. You've hidden these truths from men. And, and if you're like me, why is he doing this? I mean, at some level, I just... Uh, since I'm a pastor, I get a lot of guys that want to debate, that want to discuss. And, and what I mean by debate and discuss is they want to prove to me I'm wrong and they don't ever actually want to in, engage in dialogue. They just want to give me a sermon and then leave, right? And so I try not to do that as well. But here's what I, God, if you would just, right, if you would just have had a star in the universe that said, made by God. All right, that would have, been, that would have solved it all, right? Or like if it would have been like Andy and Toy Story, if every human being would come out with God written across the sole of our foot, like would that be enough? 
that we don't have to enter into these stupid debates all the time, that there'd just be enough proof, enough evidence in the universe around us, uh, explicit evidence, that we would just know. Uh, there's an author that says this, John Updike, all this heaven storming you want to do, if God wanted his tracks discovered, would he have made them plainer? Why tuck them into the odd, beats of a, odd bits of astronomy and nuclear physics? Why be so coy if you're the deity? And again, if we're just being honest in the, uh, in the subject of God hiding himself, we feel this. We talk about this. I've used this illustration before. But would it change your faith if I said, on three, I'm going to clap, the lights are going to blink, and we're going to all know that God is God? You ready? Okay. One, two, three. What would that do to your faith if that actually would have worked? There's no one back here. I was just joking. How much would that have changed? Because we, we think, God, if you would just show up in this way, if you would show up in a real way that our faith would be solidified that we would never doubt. But we have to read the Old Testament, man. Abraham, Moses, Noah, David, all these men of God in the Old Testament had a crazy encounter with God and they still fell astray. That their faith still, they still doubted, they still went in a different direction. So what we're saying is, God, just give to me what you gave. I mean, seriously, think about the Israelites wandering through the wilderness. Bread fell from heaven. I know Irma's coming in, we're going to get some rain, but we're not getting rye bread falling down. And that held them for how long? Until they started doubting, they started searching for their own gods. So we have this question, God, are you hiding yourself? Where, where are you? And maybe it's not that. Maybe it's in the grief that we experience. Maybe God has let something happen to you. Maybe right now, maybe there's a death, a divorce, a change in your plan. Maybe something's going on in your life. You feel like God has hidden himself from you. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, Grief Observed, that he wrote after his wife passed away. Here's what he said. But get to him, which is God, when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? So when you're desperate, when you can't find help anywhere else, you come to God, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. And a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You might as well turn away. The longer that you wait, the more empathetic the silence will come. There are no lights in the windows. It may even be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so absent in the help of time of trouble? Now let's just be real. Here, one of the core values here at this church is we don't, we don't promote this fake, everyone's good, everyone's happy, I'm too blessed to be stressed. That's not going to happen here. Let's just be real honest with one another. How many of us can relate to that quote? That in our deepest, darkest hour we run to God and we feel like a door was slammed in our face. And then we begin to wonder, like, is God even in this house? Is he even real? What is he doing? Isaiah 45, 15 says this. Truly you are a God who hides himself, 
O God of Israel, the Savior. Deuteronomy 31.18, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Isaiah 8.17, and I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Psalm 44.24, why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? So biblically, we have to do something with this idea. That God hides himself. That God hides himself. There are seasons in our life where we feel like God is just not there. That it is an evil game of hide and seek. So, so let me throw one more quote out to you. This is kind of a longer one, so stay with me. From a guy named Stephen Paulson. In order to understand why God hides and where the hiding places are, we must begin in the Garden of Eden. For the first hiding in the Bible surely is not God's. Now catch that? The first hiding in the Bible in Genesis was not God's. In fact, far from hiding, God is found at the beginning of Scripture, speaking the world into existence and filling the garden with his work and word. Nevertheless, hiding comes quickly upon the scene. We catch Adam and Eve first trying to hide from God behind fig leaves and then from each other. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Genesis 3, 7. Then deep in the garden, they sought to hide from God. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the gardens. So the obvious question starts to come up. So, so are there times then that God hides himself and are there times that we're actually hiding ourselves and we're blaming God? So are there situations where we feel like, God, where are you? And maybe it's us. Maybe we're the ones that are hiding and just not smart enough to see it. And are there actually times that God might hide himself? Now if you're a thinker, I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you're not just accepting every word that I say, which you shouldn't, that's why I want you to take a Bible, that's why I want you to study this on your own, you're probably thinking, man, that, that doesn't sound like a loving God to me. Like, I, I grew up in church, I know my Bible, um, that doesn't sound like God. God that hides himself, uh, you're, I hate to tell you because like you're on the stage, but, but pastor, you're wrong. Well, thanks for saying that and thinking of that because that leads me to my next point. In, in John, uh, John, Luke 10, 21, God hides himself from the wise and understanding. God hides himself from the wise and understanding. Here's what this means. Is wisdom a bad thing? No. Have you ever read Proverbs? Wisdom is a great, incredible thing. But there's a huge distinction. Wisdom comes from the Lord is a good thing. Earthly wisdom and understanding is not. When we're wrestling with this, we're going to feel this tension growing. I'm just asking you, I'm pleading with you, what wisdom is that that you're listening to? Because here's the deal, I can walk to campus right now, and I can get so many different advices and wisdom on student debt. Should I go into student debt? And then I can go to some of my married friends and get wisdom on parenting. And I'm going to get a bunch of different answers. 
And then I go to some older families that I'm friends with and say, hey, um, I know you guys are in retirement. Will you give me some wisdom on how to retire? What, what do I do financially? And I'm going to get a bunch of different answers. So we have to be able to separate man's wisdom and God's wisdom. I have, um, so, so what he was talking about, what Jesus is talking about in Luke 10, when he's giving these woes and warnings to the cities, he's calling out the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And I have a soft spot for these guys. Honestly do. Because at some level, they honestly and genuinely thought they were doing what was right. I mean, they're doing all these things based on Scripture, and they're trying to do it right, and they're working their tail off for it, and they're doing everything how they think they should, and they're missing it completely. They have no framework for how far off they are. Then Jesus rolls on the scenes and goes, you guys are whitewashed tombs, man. You're like a cup. You're, you're clean on the outside, but you're filthy on the inside. You're like a tomb. The tomb looks pretty on the outside, but on the inside it's full of dead bones. You're trying so hard to get this in your wisdom, in your understanding, but you're missing it. Do I have any drummers in here? Anybody play drums? Cool, so this analogy is going to make no sense to nobody, but I'm going to do it. So I was a big drumline guy, I played drumline in high school, played drumline at Georgia Southern for a year, um, and I just vividly remember probably one of the most humbling things I've experienced. Everyone in the drumline was telling me that my technique was off. I'm not flicking you off, this is how you hold a drumstick. Everyone was telling me that, I'm just going to put that away because that's going to look really weird. Everyone was telling me that my technique was wrong, that I was doing something with my left hand that was not supposed to happen. And I'm arguing with them. So person after person, after drumline coach walks in, hey, you're doing this wrong, you're not doing this right, and I'm fighting with them tooth and nail. And finally, in the wisdom of my drumline instructor, he said, I'm not going to argue with you, let's go to a mirror. Set up my drum in front of a full-length mirror, and within two seconds of playing, I saw it. So what people have been trying to convince me of for a week, because the big thing within drumline is uniformity. Everything has to look exactly the same within every person. And although I felt right, I felt like I was doing it right, the moment I get in front of a mirror, I see my sin. Our minds, our hearts can deceive us. Our wisdom could lead us astray. And I use wisdom because this is not the wisdom of Proverbs. This is the wisdom and understanding that Jesus is calling out. That because of our earthly wisdom, how we think things must operate, I mean, we're hiding ourselves from God. We're not letting him in because we put this box around it. I tell this story not a ton because I don't want to humiliate, but uh, my, my first year up here, there was a situation with a student, um, and, and, and it was fine, and they were wrestling through some stuff together, and I, I get it. And I never said it because I'm, I didn't want to be a jerk. But this student did not want to participate in what we were doing at the branch over what we would call an open-hand theology. So something that we could disagree on, but you could still be a part of the church here. And what I wanted to say was, a year ago, six months ago, three months ago, you had to raise your hand to go to the bathroom. Six months ago, if you wanted to go tinkle, you had to raise your hand and ask your teacher if you could go use the bathroom. But now, in your ultimate wisdom and understanding, you have every mystery of the book of Genesis figured out. <laughs> 
Does that just not sound ludicrous? That we do not know how to fix ourselves, yet we're going to impart our wisdom and thinking and understanding on how God should rule this universe. I heard a quote one time that, that guys our age, especially these, these millennials, we're coming into the world and we think we're going to change the world. By the time we get to 40, we realize we can even change ourselves. So our wisdom in ourselves and the understanding of how the world works is just going to, I mean, you're, some of you guys in the 18, 19, your brain's not even fully developed yet. So we have to walk into all wisdom is not God's wisdom. All understanding is not God's understanding. That we might look at a situation, that we might view something, that even though in our heart we feel like it's right, it might not be right in the, in the mind of God. So our wisdom and our understanding that we fight so hard for might be the actual thing that's hiding us from God. That we put up walls and boundaries because what our mind can process, but that fact right there might be why God is hiding himself. Romans, or Proverbs 3.5 says this, just in case you know, you're, you're not tracking. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean, do not trust, do not rest in your own understanding. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So could it be, could it be that God is high? because we're walking in our own wisdom and we think that we're maturing on ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says that we're saved by grace through faith and this faith is not of your own doing so that why? So that no one can boast. We're saved by grace through faith and this faith is not of your own doing so that no one can boast. Remember, please, I'm just going to read one more scripture here. Remember, we've got to remember who we are. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. If you have your Bible, this is the one of the ones I want you to flip to. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. I know I'm going fast. I'm sorry. Are we still tracking? Are we having fun? You still arguing with me in your head? Good. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. First Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So is your false wisdom and understanding keeping you from a relationship with God? 
Is he hiding himself from you because you think you have it figured out? Now, I know not many of you have kids, so this analogy might not work. Um, But as a parent, I do this all the time. Hey, you shouldn't do that. That's not going to end well for you. I got this, Dad. Okay. Go for it. Don't, Don't come crying to me. TV set falls on their head. Told you. That's never happened, by the way. So maybe the best thing for us is God to say, okay, okay. You think you've got it. And we see this portrayed with the prodigal son. Son comes to the father and says, give me half of what's mine. I'm out of here. I know better than you. My ways are better than your ways. I'm out. Does the father plead with him? Does he beg him not to stay? All right, son. If you think you got it, here. Go. Go have fun. If we know our rivals, we know the rest of the story, right? The son gets broken down, comes back. Father accepts him and says, hey, you just had to learn. You had to try and fail. Your wisdom and understanding is not my wisdom and understanding. Welcome back to the fold. I had to let you wander. I had to let you walk. I had to let you run. So in the hideness of God, hiddenness of God, that's a better way to say that, hideness, hiddenness of God, what is the motivating factor there? And here's where I I wish we could spend 12 hours in this. Um, Look back at 10 verses 21. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children uh, for such was your glorious will. For such was your gracious will. For such was your merciful, powerful, loving will. The temptation is going to be to hear this text, to understand and try to wrap our minds around the fact that there are times that God hides himself and there's times that our sin hides us from him. And we're going to say, gosh, that just doesn't sound like a loving God but it's part of his gracious will, him showing grace to us, him loving us even though we deserve nothing. He's saying, listen, I'm going to hide myself from you for the season. That's part of my gracious will. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 says this, This is good and it is pleasing to the sight of our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God is not a bully in the sky hiding himself from some people and not from others. He's not. He desires that all men come to know him in the knowledge of truth. But we've already discussed that if we come to knowledge of him in our own wise understanding, then we're going to boast and we're going to brag about it, and that's not how the kingdom works. 10.22, God chooses to reveal himself to us. So that no man can boast. So, so here's where we start to kind of wrestle with some of these things. Okay, sure, I get it. I see hiddenness of God. It's, it's in there. I understand why is understanding. I understand it's part of his gracious will. Sure, but, but what do I do? What, what, do I, what do I do? What do I say? What, like how do I tread through these waters of the hiddenness of God? 
So uh, my wife and I, and, and at this time we had just Auburn, uh, moved up here. Hey, Auburn. Moved up to Dahlonega January 2014. And at that time, we had, I was working this part-time job, Starbucks. We come up here to plan a church. Uh, we had $4,000 in our account, which would have made us from January to March. And if, if more money if didn't come in by that point, then the church was just going to stop before it even got started. This is before we actually launched. We knew maybe four people in Dahlonega. So we're coming. We've got everything on the line. Uh, my three-year-old Grady is born in April. In the first week in June we get the worst news than anyone could possibly imagine. I was working at Starbucks at the time, get the phone call, um, that like, hey, it was my wife, that her father had just suddenly dropped dead of a heart attack. Didn't show up to work. They went to his house to find him there. Now, we're in a town that we know nobody. We don't really know where our next paycheck's coming from. I mean, this is one of those moments all we had was our faith in God. All we had that God is a good, loving God. So as the times go on, mourning happens. I mean, it's just, it's just the natural progression of grief. The, the church launches. We actually have our official launch September 14th. So I guess we're almost three. Keep going and, and here's what happens in my wife's soul God where, where are you because I've never been this broken God where are you because we're in a town that we know no one and we're doing what we what you think you've asked us to do and I just lost my earthly father and I feel like my heavenly father isn't there where where are you and this set my wife on a tailspin what do I do? Because I feel like God is playing an evil game of hide and seek. Now, I've been known to have a temper. Anyone else? Just me. Cool, thanks. Liars. So I see my wife broken because she feels like God's playing hide and seek, and I just get mad about it. I mean, I've prayed these prayers, and I'm not lying because I'm not trying to impress you here. I've used expletives in my prayer saying, God, I am a better God and dad than you are. If my child was hurting, I would come. I've had some really knockout, dragout arguments and prayers with God. Anyone else? My wife is hurting. She's broken, and she's your daughter. Where are you? Where are you? Why would you hide yourself in the situation? I could do it better. There's that whole wisdom and understanding part. This pride bellowing up in me. That if I was God, I could do it better. <laughs> do you think God's hiding himself for a purpose? Now here's the good news and the bad news. When we talk about what do we do. Um, that was three years ago. Is the Lord drawing near towards my bride Yes, but it took two and a half years of her on her knees waiting, praying, and petitioning. So here's one of those moments I will walk away from the scripture and say, I don't know. I don't understand. 
but I know he's good. And I know that trial was because of his gracious will for her and for us. So if you're in that season where you feel like God's hiding, if you're coming out of that season or if God forbid you're walking into that season, what, what do you do? Let me just give a couple things. Verse 21 talks about he hides the, from the wise and understanding, but he's revealed them to the little children. And I'm not saying act childish. I'm saying act childlike. Adopt the posture of a child. What I mean by that is have this overarching, humble confidence of who God is. As our kids are playing around in our house, I often just dream, what would it be like to be a kid again? They're not worried about where their next meal is coming from. They have no framework for finances. I'm sitting here literally budgeting on my computer, watching them play, going, I don't know how we're going to make it this month. And they could care less because they know daddy's got it. They know daddy's going to provide for them. Daddy's going to take care of them. They have a humble confidence. Maybe it's a false confidence. We'll see. They have a humble confidence in who I am as a father. So when we walk into these seasons, when we walk into these trials, when we feel like God has played in hide and seek for us, what would it look like to have the posture of a child? Humble confidence. This makes no sense to me. I have no framework for how to understand this God, but you do, so I'm in. So I'm resting, so I'm, I'm with you, I'm walking with you. I'm adopting this posture of childlike faith because my brain hurts from trying to figure it out. And I'm just done, I'm done trying. You've got this, I trust you. You created the heavens and the earth. It's, it's yours, you're good, it's, you've got it. And that's when God reveals it to us. When we quit trying to figure all this out on our own and we just trust Trust leads me to the next one. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if we're in this process, my, my prayer for you is to trust God in this process. If you ask my wife, are you a better mom? Are you a better disciple? Are you a, do you have more faith in God now than you did three years ago? She'd say, hands down. 100%. Do I want to go back through that season again? No way. No way. Because suffering hurts but suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. This is what God is doing in us. So if God chooses to walk us through the season where we feel like he has hidden himself from us, I'm pleading with you based on text, trust the process. Trust the process that God has for you and he's walking with you through this. Trust the process. And if we're just honest, we're not really good at this because Amazon. Amazon has screwed up our lives. I had a package that took two weeks to get delivered, and I almost lost my mind. Two weeks? Are you kidding me? This is 2017. Two weeks? We, we know nothing about endurance. We know nothing about sitting and trusting the process. We want everything now. We want what my parents have, what my grandparents have, what their grandparents have. We want it all 
right now. There's a clear marked process from coming in as a freshman in college to graduating as a senior. Am I right? Can you hop over the processes there? Can you go, ah, core classes? Who needs them? It's pretty cool. But you have to trust the process. I'm pleading with you as, as we're going through these trials. If you're in one right, right now, just trust the process. That this is for your joy, not for your happiness. This is for your joy. You know what else we're really, really bad at? We're bad at trusting the process because we're instantaneous and it means we're really bad at waiting. We're really bad. I'm, I'm just going to read the text. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait for the Lord. Now can we just stop and just, just ponder that for one second. Those who wait. What does it look like to wait? Does anyone enjoy waiting? Does anyone enjoy sitting there knowing that the goal has almost arrived but it hasn't yet? Those who wait, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what is the opposite of that then? If we're impatient, if we're not waiting, then we're going to get tired, we're going to wear ourselves out, and it's not going to end well for us. So you cannot wait. Just, just go for it. I'm telling you it's not going to end well. Those who wait on the Lord. Psalm 62, 1 through 6. I know it's a bigger passage, but you've got to just pick up the language here because he repeats himself. Uh, David is trying to convince himself of this truth. For God, my, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes for my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not great, be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure and falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is in him. He is my only rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. So this is like an ABA poem for David. He's chanting this to himself over and over again. My soul waits in silence. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. For he alone is my rock and my salvation. I shall not be shaken. I'm going to wait him out through this process. For he alone is my rock and my salvation. I shall not be shaken. We wait. So if you're in this season, here's the really, really great news for you. Just wait. That's the answer you wanted, right? No, you want out of it. You want everything to be fixed. Now you want God to come save you. Now you want him to get you out of this mess. Now, but he's saying, no, wait, trust. The last thing, this is the last thing, and we'll, we'll wrap up. From the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, you do not see people doing this alone. What, is, what does God tell Adam? 
It is not good for man to be alone. I mean, we even see this model for us in the Trinity, right? The language that God uses is that we are his bride. He is the groom that he's coming back to get us. Never, ever in scripture are we called to, are we encouraged to, are we discipled to do this life by ourselves. My wife would tell you that if she had a community around, because remember, we didn't, we didn't know anybody. We just started this thing. You guys weren't here. We were five, six people in my house. That if we had community around that she, at that point, was ready to open up to and talk to about this stuff, things might have been easier. So after this, when I come back up later for announcements, we're going to launch our missional communities this week. All, we've got three launching this week, and I'm begging you. I'm begging you. And this is not for me. Good gracious. I hope you know this. I hope you understand this is not a sales pitch so that we can grow as a church, so that we can put these numbers and we can be the da, 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 da. I don't care about any of that. I care about your soul. And I'm saying if you're in this season of waiting, if you feel like God is hiding from you, do not hide from community. Please. That's going to be the worst thing for you. You already feel alone, and then if you pull back and isolate yourself, the, the only thing there is you. The Bible is clear. I mean, read through Acts, and what do you see? Community happening all over the place. So what do we do then? I mean, if we could just be real, as we start to land this plane, just, just be honest with me. Are you there? Are you there right now where you feel like God is hiding himself from you? Are you at the edge of your rope in your faith where you're thinking about throwing in the towel? Are you there? We, we end the gatherings after the teaching almost the same way every time. That for believers, if you are a Christ follower in this room, we get up after we've prayed and processed and listened to the Lord, and we take communion together. And here's what that means. It means that we are taking Jesus' example of the last Passover, and we're taking the bread and we're ripping it. And God says, listen, through Christ, this is my body that is broken for you. Remember me and we dip it into the juice which represents his blood all of this is ordained by jesus in scripture which represents the blood that he's going to pour out for us here's here's my last question jesus is a masterful at asking questions asked over 100 questions here's my question for you if you're in this season of hiding as we take communion here's the question i want you to ponder would god really go through death for me just to leave me would god really pick up his cross and die as an atonement for my sin, just to, after four, five, six years of me being a Christian, just to leave me and desert me. Would God really go through all that punishment? Would he take on the sins of the world just to leave me there? Is that really who God is? My heart's breaking for some of you because I know you're in this season. I know what you've been praying. Or better yet, I know that you haven't been praying. I know you're wondering. 
I know you're doubting. Trust the process of his gracious will. Trust, wait, get into community. So I'm going to pray, and after I say amen, man, please just sit as long as you need to, pray, consider. There's people around you, there should be branch people around you at every table. If you need to pray with someone, just grab them and pray with them. And when you're ready, let's take communion together as a church, as believers. If you're not yet a believer, I'm so grateful that you're here. But we ask that you just observe this process, because this means everything to us. And as we're taking communion, let our question be, would God really save me to leave me? The answer is no. Let's pray. Father, I, I don't begin to understand you. But here's what I know. That you're never going to leave me. That you're never going to forsake me. That you... Do not count my sins against me, but because of what your son did on the cross, I've been made new. I'm a new creation father. God, that my old has gone away, my new has come because of who you are and because of what you've done on my behalf and on our behalf. God, you are good. That your love for us knows no bounds. And so, Father, I know that there are those in this room this morning that need to be reminded of that truth. So, God, I'm asking you, would you do it? Father, would you draw near to the brokenhearted right now in this moment? God, would you just give them a subtle reminder that you are here and that you are real and that you love them? Father, would you just encourage them to wait? Father, would you encourage them to wait? Those who wait on the Lord, He will renew their strength. Father, we know that you're doing this all for our for your gracious will, that for, for our joy, you're fighting for us. You're not leaving us alone. You're pursuing us. You're growing us. And if this is what, what growth looks like, God, we want it. That's painful and it hurts, but, but we want it. We want to know you more. So, Jesus, we just pray. And I pray for my friends and my family in this room. I pray for this community that we would know that you are good even if we don't feel it that we trust that you're for us and not against it even if we can't explain it that your character and nature are made known to us your love for us so as we take communion this morning and as we stop to remember all that you've done when we just ponder that question would you really die for us to leave us Would you really save us and not sustain us? Because yeah, that's not what your word says. Your word says that you've given us hope for a future. So God, would you reveal yourself to us this morning? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.